We are together at last. Sitting on your couch. I know. You're in my house. It's so nice. There's a pod dog underneath me. There is. We'll post a picture, but yes, Kahlo has joined us for this recording, even though he's doing no work whatsoever. (laughs) He's just asleep under the (laughs) coffee table. (laughs) But everyone, welcome to Faded Mates. Jen and I are together. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. How fun is that to say in a room full of people? wild yeah yeah crazy we just so the reason why we are together everyone is because it is sunday and friday night we had fading meets live and it was so fun it was so fun i mean i always go through a fair amount of anxiety after the event is over just sort of like rehashing it and worrying that people did not have a good time. Well, we're a good match because I'm a worry before type. And now that it's after, I'm like, that was amazing. It was so fun. It was awesome. Good times. I just Adult want- breastfeeding. <laughs> oh my God. We talked about why. Why was I like that? <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Well, you know how at Faded Mates Live the first, I ended up talking about that Mothman romance by C.M. Nascosto with the really long tongue. <laughs> yeah, it was just like And it a, just a, came a, from a, like somewhere deep inside me. And then this time, I ended up referencing adult breastfeeding like more than once. And it's just not a thing I bring up very often. And yet, well, because you and I both recently read. Are we ready to talk? Maybe we should save. We'll save this for a little later. Maybe we don't jump right in. But headphones in, I guess, is where we're at already. Already. So this week's episode, because we're together, is going to just be like upcoming spring romances. We're going to fill your TBR. Yeah. Because that's really what we do best, I think. It is. So it's going to be kind of like looking forward to some things that are coming out soon. And a lot of these books that we mentioned actually were we ha- we're lucky enough to have some copies of at Faded Mates Live as giveaways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, we asked one really cool thing we did is we um, gave everybody an envelope with a um, index card and let people ask questions. And so we have a couple of questions that we did not get to that night that we might get to, um, including just some fun ones, some serious ones, and then... Yeah, but we didn't want, if you were at Fade Mates Live and we didn't answer your question live, we didn't want you to feel like you had wasted your energy on that index card situation. Right. So that's our plan is spring book recs. Now that the sun is out, it's 60 degrees here in Brooklyn. It probably means it's still 23 in Chicago, but one day it will be spring where I live too. One day. One day. Yeah, I saw really pretty weird. The Faded Mates I was in a neighborhood of Brooklyn called Williamsburg, which is very cool. And like, too cool for me. A hundred percent too cool for us. Yes. Yeah. I like, mean, it's where very cool people yeah. are. I mean doing cool things. Well, we're cool people that did a cool thing. Though. I mean, we did. We well, brought we brought Faded Mates to a cool place. Yes. But there was a really pretty, I don't know if you saw it, um, like outside the hotel and kind of on the next block. Um, we're at this really awesome hotel called the William Vale. There is a really pretty magnolia tree. Did you see it? Like, Mm -hmm. and it was in what we already flowering. Yes. And I was like, listen, climate change is real. I don't want to get too dark here, everyone, but yeah, magnolia tree should not be flowering in March in New York city. In New York city. Yeah. And I was like, that's weird. Especially because, 
Um, in Chicago, it's like just almost soon going to be daffodils, like when I get back probably. Mm-hmm. So to have like full on magnolias when that's probably still I don't several like weeks away for us. But I don't anyway. like it. Um, so listen, Fade of Maze Live was yesterday. We are going to um, release the Fade of Maze Live episode, which was so fun. It was really fun. Um, May is sometime in May. Yeah. And we're, we're waiting for a week uh, when we just, you know, feel like it's a good vibe. Yes. But we have some plans between now and then. And so. it was a very professional audio recording because... We had a special co-producer. Co-producer. Yeah, that's right. Producer Pat from Learning the Tropes. So if you listen to Learning the Tropes, uh, you know about Pat because he's been there from the beginning with Aaron. Um, But now, uh, if you don't listen to Learning the Tropes, you really, really should because it's a really fun other romance novel podcast. So, you know, you can get double, Double double the fun if you listen to them, too. Um, Aaron has guests on to talk about romance, to talk about deep dives, to talk about romance adjacent television. Right now they're doing a recap of Daisy Jones and the Six. Anyway, her producer uh, and Eric are friendly and he came and recorded the room. I know. As part of the fun. So hopefully uh, you guys will benefit yeah the best part for me he was so into it yeah well that was it i guess someone said to eric like you were just straight faced the whole time because he's heard it all before same as it ever was but poor pat was like what am i listening to (laughs) well you know what eric always says about fate of mace live he's like it's amazing because it feels like as a like a cishet white man i'm the i'm like in a room where a whole nother universe of people are having a whole other experience, experience yeah. that I am never privy to. But, yeah, you know, because he's in the corner with all of his gear, he could just sort of eavesdrop. Yeah, pretty awesome. It was so fun. So thank you to everyone for coming. Um, we have no plans to do this again anytime soon. <laughs> You make it sound like we won't ever, but I think we will do it one again, but it's, it's going to be, we Le- need, yeah. But report in, tell us how you felt. If you were there, let us know. Yeah. We want to hear if you had a nice time. Did you feel hydrated in the next morning? I was so dehydrated the next day. I was <laughs> pounding water. Like there was no tomorrow. And I was like, this is bad, but no, listen, but it was great because there was word bookstores was there. They sold a bunch of books. People we're in line. Yeah. Right up until they had to kick us out of the room. It was so awesome. it was really fun. And we will definitely do another. We just don't know when. Sure. No time soon. We don't have one on the calendar is what Jen's trying to say. Yes. Okay. Um, but I do want to just shout out uh, Grand Central Forever, Sourcebooks, and Berkeley. Yeah. Um, all donated books. To us so that we could give them away to people who were in the audience who said funny things. Um, And that was probably one of my favorite parts is, and we didn't do it quite as much, I think. I think we perfected it this time was Mm. like calling out into the audience and like having people raise their hands. And then um, we did one section where we had like kind of like this or that. Mm-hmm. And what was really fun is I a, f- a friend of mine, Anne, was there from Toronto and she I saw her 
the next day. And she told me that one of the things that was really cool about that in the audience was that then people were like chatting with the people around them about what they would say. So, you know, Anne was like, I'm definitely a gravel person, but the person next to me was a grand gesture person. But then we got to talk about it. So I think that that was really cool too. Like there are times we ask people, you know, to like raise their hands or, you know, kind of like play along with the people in their Mm -hmm. row or near them. So I think it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you'll get to listen to that episode uh, sometime in May, probably. Um, And you can play along at home then. Yes. Anyway, I don't want to make everybody have like FOMO. FOMO. I guess it's not really FOMO if they've actually mowed. All right. No so more foe. Do we want to mode. talk about a couple of spring romances we're looking for? And then yes. we'll talk about some questions and we'll go back and forth, maybe? Yeah, I like it. Okay. I'm for it. Um, oh wait, let's talk about I am gonna spoil this part of Fate of Mates Live, and this is a good place to start. The best part, in like unequivocally, the well, the weirdest part. So we took questions from the audience as we are about to go through. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, Jen was doing, like, was cruise directing while I was, like, sorting through the questions. And I got to one and I was like, oh, my God, well, this is this is the first one. And it said, I've never read a romance novel. What should I start with? And I thought, oh, no, we've broken this person. Sarah just said, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, sorry to that person, but we, but not sorry to that person because we had one gold circle coin. (laughs) Yes. We had one copy of Georgie all along that we we passed back to the back row. Um, I was so glad that I hadn't given it away earlier. Yeah. Because I was like, I have this great book. It is a banger. You are going to be so delighted reading it. Yeah. So that. That woman went home with Georgie all along, and I hope she now returns to us. Um, She should know that Theta Mates Live is not for Kate. Yeah. I would say another one that I might recommend just in general. you've never read a romance. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, you know, like Pride and Protest. Oh, yeah. And the reason why is because because people are so familiar with Pride and Prejudice, Mm You know, either they've read it and they love it or they've seen one of the many versions of the movie that that I feel like also could be a really good entry point because you already know the story Mm -hmm. at some level. And so Pride and Protest might be a really good starting point, too, if you, you know what I mean, kind of to show like, hey, the roots of the genre are still what you know what I mean? Like they always happen. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking that might be a really another really good starter romance yeah i mean i think this is such a hard question because it really is about you know it's about people what people like to read yeah i mean no matter there's something for everyone right it's it's an impossible question but in that scenario it was very easy to say kate is a good start yeah well the other thing for those of you that are like at home if someone ever asks you that, uh, oh, the way we often answer that question is, well, what TV shows do you like? Yes. Right. Or what movies do you like? And then it's kind of finding because. Well, because people are really snooty about books. Yeah. Right. So if you say to somebody, like, tell me what kind of books you like in very, if they're not, if they're not a proud genre reader. Yeah. Often they'll say, oh, I. Right. I really like 
you know, the great Gatsby. Right. Right. And it's, that's not really the answer. The question is what gives you joy? Right. Right. And that is, that was one of the questions actually we got over the, over the course of the, um, the fate of man's lives, somebody asked us to talk about joy and, you know, we did a whole season on joy and why we think joy and romance go together. But the reality is that when you're looking for the first romance novel to deliver to somebody, it really, the prime directive is what gives you joy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a fun one. And then you're just like looking for a romance that, you know, kind of has those, usually that plot. Right. So if someone says, you know, I like um, beautiful people blowing things up. Right. Then you're going to look for romantic suspense. Right. Um, if someone says they loved what's the one about the pirates? Our, pirates of the our Caribbean. Flag, our flag means death. Oh, our flag means death. I was like, we don't talk about pirates of the Caribbean. Anymore. I, like, <laughs> my point exactly. So our flag know, means death. Yeah. Right. Then you could sort of find one that, you know, has has pirates or has yeah. like sort of that adventure kind of yeah, feeling. Yeah, like a, a comedic adventure. Yeah, right. And something wilder or yeah. a witch's guide to fake dating a demon, maybe. Yes. Well, and actually one of the questions that also we got is that someone said, I know you had a fantasy romance interstitial, if you'll remember, it was probably in season three with Zoraida. God, people are always asking us for fa- new fantasy recs, so and let's I have, do that. Yeah, so I, have a, well, I think we have a couple that are kind of out. And, of course, monster romance has was really big. I don't know if it's still big. It feels like it's kind of waning a little bit, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I don't hear about them as much. So Sarah Holly's A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon is from Berkeley. We had a couple of giveaways of that one. Mm-hmm. It's about a witch of like incredibly powerful, like young witch who's just discovered that she's one of the most powerful witches ever in her coven. And she accidentally lands herself in in a um a sort of soul ver- soul demon pact. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess when you make a pact with a demon for your soul or whatever. Uh, he can't leave your side until it's sorted out. So yeah, they have to fake date to make it all make sense. Well, there you go. Um, another one that uh, I think a lot of folks have been really enjoying is called bitter medicine by Mia say, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name, right? I'm sorry. And this one's really cool because it has, um, a Chinese immortal falling in love with a French elf. So you get this like really cool, I think almost like kind of globe hopping paranormal adventure. So um, L is a descendant of the Chinese God of medicine. She's destined to be a doctor, but instead she's sort of underemployed and um, runs into Luke, right? Who is this like French elf. Um, and he is like a security expert and he's responsible for this curse that um, was laid on these children from this previous assignment. So, you know, this like real, real twisty, turny kind of thing, um, kind of vibe on like this adventure that they go on. And so, you know, there's uh, can they be happily after when they have this completely opposite sense of kind of who they are, what it means to be like, you know, kind of what their responsibilities are, who they're responsible to. 
Um, and this has been like getting a lot of great press. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. So that's bitter medicine. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Goldie Thomas, author of the debut historical romance, The Rake and the Fake. Hey, I'm so excited about debut historical romances. And I know. especially when they come from authors who are self-proclaimed lovers of thick forearms and who are just longing for Miss Scarlet and the Duke to kiss on camera. Because Bring the same energy to this book and it's going to be a total hit. <laughs> I mean, I'm already in. Okay, so this book, The Rake and the Fake, is a mistake. Everybody knows I love a mistaken identity story. Our protagonist, Charlotte, is a seamstress who works for one of the top modistes in London. And through a confluence of sort of accidental events, she is mistaken by the Countess of Dorset as the woman she, the Countess is intending to set up with her very rakish, very scoundrelly, very single <laughs> Viscount son. Um, now, one would think, you know, Charlotte could easily just in this moment say, oh, well, you've made a mistake. I'm actually just Charlotte, a seamstress. But we all know that's not, that's not that how seems, this goes It all. seems like this is an opportunity for Charlotte. She should seize it. <laughs> exactly. Charlotte actually has some mysterious questions about her past. And she thinks that this access into the aristocracy and the ruling class is going to give her an opportunity to answer many of those questions. So she seizes the day and heads herself out pretending to be Tabitha Crampton, uh, heiress, <laughs> and ends up in a, a little bit of an oopsie sort of situation with the Viscount of Dorset, who immediately is like, who is this lady and why have I not, you know? I know. Mistaken identity, forced proximity. Listen, locked in a wine cellar after I'm dark. For it. Right? Upstairs, downstairs. We all love it. And also, uh, this is one of those situations where Charlotte has no time for billionaire Viscounts. And uh, if you like wealth distribution, that might happen in here. <laughs> Who doesn't like that? It's 2023 and I'm for that. This is like not a book where money solves everything, right? So this is like a, probably going to be a really interesting look at class in historical romance, which I think sounds fantastic. You can get The Rake and the Fake in print or in ebook wherever you get your books. And thanks as always to Goldie Thomas for sponsoring the episode. You know, I was late to the party on the undertaking of Heart and Mercy, mm -hmm. but I am now a convert. Um, I finally read it. It was on, Jen put it on our best of the year list uh, in the winter, and I finally read it. And it is, I mean, what an absolute delight that yeah, is. Awesome. If you are a fantasy romance reader, the world building is fantastic. It's two people who have to work together. There's a quest. It's really so much fun and I feel like really embedded in the the mythology of fantasies if you love fantasy and you are looking for a fantasy yes. romance it is you you'd be hard-pressed to do better oh yeah absolutely the undertaking of heart and mercy is by Megan Bannon yeah another one that is coming out yet so I think you are going to have to pre-order this is um, by Piper Drake. Now, if you are a romantic suspense fan, chances are good that you've read one of Piper books. Piper's books. She has been kind of really dominating, I think, that romantic suspense space for a long time. And she has written um, a new, the first book in a new paranormal series called 
wings once cursed and bound. And this is a really cool because what happens is the um, there's a um, a young woman who is uh, like a ballerina and she at, at one day at practice or rehearsal or whatever, this like pair of ballet shoes shows up and they're like red and they're like something's kind of special about them. She almost like feels like this kind of calling to them and she puts them on. And then it turns out that these are these like famous cursed shoes. And if you put them on it, like you'll essentially dance yourself to death. Oh, and no. just as she's putting them on, um, this guy named Bennett Andrews appears and he works for like this like organization of supernatural, like almost like a kind of like a supernatural detective agency. But they're instead of like looking into mysteries, what they do is they are recovering artifacts, like paranormal artifacts from all over the world. Like cursed shoes. Like cursed shoes. And he was essentially hoping to get them before. And then he was kind of like, oh, bummer, I'm going to have to wait for this lady to die before I get these <laughs> shoes back. I mean, he is like so ruthless about it. But she has this like power almost to resist. And that's when he realizes that she must have some sort of like supernatural or immortal blood in her. And it turns out, and this is the part that's really cool. She is um, a, like essentially, a, I think it's called a kinnery, which is like a Thai bird spirit. Mm. And she has no idea that that's what she is because essentially like when her relatives, her grandparents emigrated to America, of course, they tried to. Um, you know, assimilate. assimilate and in doing so kind of like lost a little bit of this knowledge about mm-hmm. like this particular immortal being. So it's like she has this suspicion that she is what she is. But Bennett is going to, of course, fall in love with her and help her figure it out. I love so it. So this is really cool because it is I don't I will admit I have never read a romance inspired by Thai mythology. Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. So this is not a romance, but did you know that that's a real thing? Like there are, there are, there was a time and now of course I'm forgetting like which century, but I want to say it was like the 1500s or the 1600s where there were a rash of situ of, you know, moments where people would literally dance themselves to death. Did you know this? No. Yeah. I'm going to put, we'll put links in show notes to this. It's fascinating yeah and there are all sorts of like medical there's all sorts of medical speculation in terms of like what was wrong with these people that they literally could not stop dancing and they would dance themselves dead wow so well there you go yeah it's it's a cool it's it's really um you know i feel like rebooting a paranormal series in 2023 like figuring out how to like really make it fresh or new is so fun right okay we want to answer a couple questions from faded mates live yeah sure let's do okay it. oh we had a couple people ask us i feel like is always the case please explain what it means to take the finger sarah <laughs> so taking the finger we started talking about taking the finger back in season one because there was a book where you know a hero and a paper cutter happened it's um, not Lothair. a lot of people think it's Lothair. no it's so cute did you see the yes. mess somebody was somebody in at faded mates live said every time you say taking the finger i think it's a reference to Lothair to ellie sending right Lothair her middle finger <laughs> um but that is not although it that is in the spirit be. it, it is, is in the spirit of it the vibe <laughs> So taking the finger, when we refer to it, is us 
essentially acknowledging that a writer has gone fully what they say yeah. balls to the wall. Like she or he have they have they have come to the to a crossroads and they have looked to the left and to the right and chosen the path that is the most bananas. Yeah. And they do it with fearlessness and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but when it does work, yeah. it is it gives you that feeling you've all, everybody listening has read a romance novel where they've gone, how on earth yeah. did they pull that off? Did that author pull that off? And um, it really does feel like there are many, many of the books that we love yeah. are books where we can point, we can point to them and say that book took the finger. When the heroine of a heart of blood and ashes gives the hero a blood hand job with her brother's, her dead brother's blood as his lube. Yes. Like, it's... That's it. We did say headphones in, right? Yes, we did. <laughs> so, we did. Um, there are really... You know it when you see it. Yeah. But it feels in the... It's like, it feels electric in the text. Yeah. I would say the thing, one easy way to think about it to me, it's like the opposite of pulling the punch. Right. So like if you yep. pulling your punches is when you like an you see an author setting something up and then you see them kind of shy away from it. They they're a little too afraid to follow through or maybe an editor told them to dial it back. Mm-hmm. And so like pulling the punch and taking the finger are opposites to me. And that's one way. That's I right. kind of remember that. Shout out to Sophie Jordan, who invented that phrase with me yes. before Fade of Mates, I think, existed. Yeah. Um, and Sophie and I have, this is a fun fact, but Sophie and I have matching bracelets that read Take the Finger um, that we we wear when we're on writing retreats together to remind us that you always walk the scary path. Yeah. Um, Sophie Jordan, speaking of spring books, we talked about this last week, so we're not going to get too, too deep on it this week. But Sophie's book, uh, The Scandalous Ladies of London, her first book, The Countess, is out right now and it's basically if you love the real housewives and you'd like to see what the real housewives would look like in regency london yeah this is your book um what's a book that changed your mind about a kink or trope and this is yeah this is oh my gosh there are so many well let me answer like again like we'll give some recommendations here so um i lovers lovers no friends to lovers has always been a bit of a tough one for me and um you guys know you've been hearing me sing the praises of Jeannie chin's um blue cedar fall series the third book in the series is called The House on Mulberry Street, and it is a classic friends to lovers. And here's what I really liked about it. So there, Elizabeth is the third daughter of the Wu family. Um, she really plays against type in the sense that um, like her older sister kind of really follows that model. Like I was on a um, I did a like a fun event with Jeannie last week, actually, to like kind of introduce the book. And one of the things she talked about was. So June is the older sister that her her book was first, like really follows that kind of model minority myth, which if you're not sure what that is, it's like Asian American um, kids in school, especially right, is how I interact with it as a teacher 
are sort of expected to be like good at math and a good student and really organized and, you know, quiet, a little submissive. And, um, and the older sister kind of follows that, but Elizabeth, who's the heroine of this one instead is like a real wild child. And so it was, Jeannie was saying it was really important for her to like kind of write against that trope Uh to have an Asian American heroine who does not like sort of ever, never followed it. You know, she's like, was like that goth girl in high school Mm -hmm. instead. And so much so that when she was 18, she got in a huge fight with her parents and moved out of the house. And she did not leave town. She stayed in town and she ended up being um, roommates with her like best friend since childhood, this guy named Graham. Well, Graham has been in love with her since like the day they met in, I don't remember if it was like, I mean, elementary school. And the thing that sets this sort of book in motion happened in the previous book where Elizabeth decided to like sort of apply all over the country for these arts, um, like arts, like fellowships, essentially. And he realizes like, oh, my God, she's going to move on mm-hmm. and I can't be left here. So I'm going to move on, too. And he puts things in motion to like buy a house in the neighborhood and he's going to essentially so. This book begins where he has essentially just told her that he is leaving. It gives a very big energy like that Naima Simone book, mm-hmm. right? Where he's like, and and at first she is like, wait, you're leaving me. She's really upset. And the greatest thing about this Friends to Lovers is you really do believe that she has no idea he's in love with her at the exact same time everyone else in town knows that he has been in love with her forever. And when she finally figures it out, it is like a switch being flipped. Oh yeah. It's really good. And so, you know, love friends delivers is hard for me, but I think that this, this book really does prove that idea that like in friends to lovers, the stakes are so high because if you fuck it up, yeah. you're losing You're-er your friends. friends. Right. So yeah, it was really good. That's cool. Um, it says kink, and so I'm going to talk about um, – I, I so I feel like to know if a book has really changed your mind about a kink, you have to now be, like, into that kink, mm-hmm. right? Like, into reading that kink, mm-hmm. right? Like, because I can think of dozens of books that have explored kink that I, like, could give or take in a right. book. Um, but I'm, you know, an avowed uh, – uh, alpha submissive mm. lover, and I know Jen, you do not believe that they exist, and that is fine for you. It's for you, but I really do love them. Um, and so, and the book that changed or that revealed that to me is a book called "Giving It Up" by Audra North. Um, it's an it's not a new book. It's a book I read a long, long time ago, um, and. The, the deal here is that um, the hero of this book is um, he's in a like a police riot force mm-hmm. like or it's not riot. It's like what's the word when SWAT team? Yes. Thank you. OK. He's the hero's on a on a police SWAT team. His he's the only he's the you know. Man, it's a super alpha. Like we are talking about like a mega alpha, right? Like he is in charge of the SWAT team at work, at home. He takes care of his mother. He takes care of his sister. He is um, just in a constant state of having to be in control in all areas of his life or shit happens. Like terrible things can happen if he is not completely in control of every situation that he is in. 
and he meets the heroine who is a photographer and um over the course of their kind of like he meet they meet at a wedding uh, his friend is getting married and she i think is the wedding photographer and um over the course of their relationship uh it becomes really clear that he needs somebody to take control over of like some part of his life and it is this part of his life. Like he, this is the place where he can give up control of sex. And so, but she's never done this before. Like she doesn't know how to be. So she takes herself off to like the local sex club and finds a woman who will teach her how to become a dom and really like give him everything that he needs. And it is, this is the only version of, of like BDSM that I can really get into. Um, and that's just because that's how I'm, that's my, my reality as a reader. Um, but man, this is a great book. And since then I have searched high and low. Like now I've, I feel right. like yeah. I have read every one there is. Um, and they don't all work for me in general, but uh, that is, this book specifically really did the job for me. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I have, like, off the top of my head an answer for that one. So I'm kind of like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I'm, I think the other piece of it is, it's like, we're kind of open to everything. Right, exactly. There's very, very little. <laughs> I feel like anybody who listens to the podcast knows so, like, this. Oh, yeah, there right. is very little yeah. that I have, I won't try. Right. You know, adult breastfeeding. Sure. Um, <laughs> as an example, are we ready to talk about that one? Yeah, let's maybe, do it. maybe this is I the mean, time. I mean, because it feels like we did. Yeah. There was a moment, I don't know what was in the, in the air, but there was a moment where we were doing, we yeah, were, we, we, we both had read just too many of those, I think. I oh. mean, for some of you, there is no such thing. Right. Sure. While you're looking for it, I will say, um. No, I have it. Adriana Herrera's, I, this is like, no one's going to be surprised by this. American Love Story is the first time I read people not just having phone sex, but having FaceTime sex. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's hot. Nice. I mean, yeah, course, that's a good one. Of course, I would think that's hot. Right? I thought you were going to say when you I I yeah. did not process. And I thought you were going to say Adriana Herrera was the first time you'd written. You've read people cooking. No. And enjoyed it. But no, that, I've still not enjoyed that. No, I've never enjoyed that. <laughs> no, that would be kink. That would really be life changing <laughs> for me, everybody. This week's episode of Fate of Mates is sponsored by Catherine Grace, author of Just a Fling. Sarah, this is a modern second chance romance. And here's what I'm going to tell you what I think that means. <laughs> it's not years later. He broke her heart and he did it recently and now uh, he's going to have to pay. I hate him. Suffer. <laughs> you know, I like it already, though. What do you do? I, what happened? Okay, so Don Matheson is a law student. She has a steamy summer romance with a solar developer, Callan Marlowe. Oh, I like, he's like it. A, All right. He's Green a sex, energy. Exactly. <laughs> electricity sarah he sweeps her off her feet and into a lot of different positions and mm -hmm. but then at the end of the summer he just dumps her what i know it's like danny zuko <laughs> she's brokenhearted confused and angry right but he is just like i have i can't handle my feelings and oh, don't do relationships big dummies and just figures he's never going to see her again and a year later uh oh a twist of fate has brought him back into her life and into her office no and i know exactly get out <laughs> 
Um, I think, well, that's real dirty what I was about to say, so I'm not going to. However, I will say that I think that this book has, it has received great reviews from both Kirkus and Publishers Weekly. So if you love a steamy contemporary romance, check it out. All right. And I love a British hero and a hero who can't handle his feelings. I like to just yell at them on the page. (laughs) Me too. Um, You can get Just a Fling starting today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, or at authorcatherinegrace.com in print or in ebook wherever you get your books. So thanks, as always, to all of our sponsors and to Catherine Grace for sponsoring the episode. So Sarah, though, listen, at some point, was like, I was writing, I was deep in it, deep in it, you guys. I was in the fugue state of writing a book. And I don't know how I reached this corner of the internet. Oh, I do. But I reached the Astra Rose corner of the internet. And I know that some number of you are right now screaming at your... Yeah, if car you, stereos. If most of truly this, headphones in at this point, you guys. Most of I will say most of Astro Rose is like really hardcore daddy, but this one in particular. Okay, so this one is not. No, this one not. is called. Oh my god, it's called a splash of cream at the Alabaster Cafe, <laughs> which. Really just sounds like you could put an Adirondack chair on the cover and sell it at Walmart. Sure. But let me tell you, everyone, that would be a shock <laughs> to a lot of those ladies who like Adirondack chair books. Because this book is about a woman who's like kind of down on her luck. And she goes and she gets a job at this coffee shop. Like, and it's very well paying like she's like i'm sort of surprised by how well paying this now job this, is you i think clearly must have come right after morning glory milking firm don't you think you think it was written right after that i feel like now i'm gonna have to. i mean it's a different kind of milk though yeah but i feel like the same vibe right right Similar, well yes because it really is capitalist it's yes. a really isn't it's really a business text is what i'm getting at here and um so the heroine of this book, whose name I do not remember, um, goes in and she's like, this is so great. This is like a very well-paying coffee shop job. And the manager, everybody seems really friendly. All the people who work with her have enormous breasts. <laughs> and she's like, you know, I guess the manager just has a type, like maybe he's like gross. And he's like, not that gross. He's just like a manager and everything seems fine. And then she realizes some people are coming in and they're like getting a special drink that they have to like go into a back room to receive. Yes. And pretty quickly, we, the reader and this heroine discover what's going on in these back rooms that they are getting a very particular kind of drink. This is so... Weird to be talking about this, but whatever. Here we are on my couch talking about this. Here we are. So long story short, the heroine discovers that, in fact, there is like a special club at the Alabaster Cafe where people like have a membership card and they can like come and, you know, have have a, you know, an experience with a lactating person. Um, what's fascinating about it is that the re- the way that these these people are all lactating is that they are taking a kind of off market 
birth control pill. Right. Exactly. Which not only makes you lactate as a side effect, which is a whole thing. It also makes your breast milk an aphrodisiac. So our intrepid heroine discovers very quickly that like there's money in this hill and she decides she is going to like basically commodify this uh, process and open a like milk sex club. Yes. Now, Sarah, if you'll remember, <laughs> this was not. But it's really like what happens about halfway through this book, you guys, I'm not kidding, is it turns into like a true like business manual, a business textbook. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm now taking an, I'm, I'm doing an MBA, like a quick erotic MBA. <laughs> yes. So uh, if you'll remember. Yes. There is another one we read of this. Do you remember you sent this Did to Did I me? read that? Okay. I didn't send that to you. I don't know what that is. You absolutely sent me this. I think maybe someone else did. I'm sure it was you. (laughs) You were really deep into it. I'm going to have to go back through the text. This is is a book called The Wild One. Oh, no. By Daisy Jane, in which a younger man. Oh, no. uh, Hooks up with a a woman next door who has. She's a single mom. And. She has a baby, and he discovers that he is super into. What? I sent this to you? I swear to God. I do you do not this remember this? You all, I don't know. You I guys, I can't. This, I don't know. This book has so much milk in it. Did it break you? <laughs> it, it might have broken me. I mean, I just, and this is what I kind of remember you saying was like, there's so much I think milk I just, in this book. And I was like, yes, it really is nonstop. He really, you guys, he's really into it. Listen, that billionaire's algorithm is terrifying. Oh my God, you're not on Twitter anymore. So you didn't see what I said. Okay. So one of the things during Faded Mates Live, everybody, is I looked up these old Harlequin Presents titles. Okay. Because they were cracking up. Like we're talking like Harlequin Presents from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And one of them, so like with no knowledge about what these books were about, we had people like take their kind of group together and, you know, people picked one. And one of the books was called Dear Plutocrat. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking last night, I was like, can you imagine putting plutocrat in the title imagine. of a book, right? Yeah. And then I was like, well, what would be the modern equivalent? And I was like, and like two words came into my head at once, billionaire and oligarch. Yeah. And then I had this, I did a funny Twitter thread, you're not on anymore, where I was like, what if you replace the word billionaire in every romance title with oligarch? <laughs> <laughs> and someone pointed out that there's like a series called Billionaires and Babies, and it would be like oligarchs, oligarchs and babies. And babies. But the thing about oligarchs is when you think about them, they're not hot at all. They're like 70-year-old, That's my gray-haired. That is my point, yeah. right? Like the last eligible oligarch is like, oh, no, you got married off to some man who's like 63 <laughs> and smells like cigars. I love it. Well, so then here's what's really funny is Miss Bev came into the thread and said, well, what if you replace the mouth of Velociraptor? And <laughs> And I said, it sounds like a crossover in the making between you and Chuck Tingle. Yes. Perfect. (laughs) Right? Like an old West velociraptor. Like Miss Bev would write her part and Chuck Tingle would write his part. And And there it is. We would all buy it. I love it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So anyway, that billionaire oligarch's uh, bookstore algorithm is. uh, Yeah. 
it is no joke because then what happens is you find yourself down in that dark corner of the internet of Amazon. Yes. And you think, I don't want to be down here, you know, every day, all the time. But then you've read, you know, four of them, and now that's all the algorithm wants to deliver me. Yes. Um, So just, you know, use caution as you explore down there. You'll need a pith helmet. (laughs) (laughs) You might never come out again. Then we have to come back. You might never come out. Just, you know, let us know when we need to bring you back. (gasps) Oh, but can we talk while we're down here talking about kink? Because I guess that's what we're doing now. I want to tell you that I'm currently reading Sarah Kate's most recent book. Oh, yeah. Tell Which me is called it. Highest Bitter, I think. Um, and as you all know, I was a big, big fan of Sarah Kate's Praise when that came out. Um, and this one hits just like Praise did for me. Okay. Um, first of all, it's the same. It's a very similar kink. Second of all, the hero is, for this one special for Joanna Shoup, um, the hero is significantly older than the heroine. There's like a 20-something year difference. I'm showing Sarah this text right now where she said, I read a bonkers (laughs) breastfeeding book yesterday. Like someone called Sandra Brown. (laughs) It was back from January. read the rest of it. Right. I said, aha, amazing. What was it? She said, the wild one by Daisy Jane. Do you see? Yep. I honestly don't even know if it was good. Well, I have to tell you. Um, that I don't remember it. So yeah, sure. Take that as you will, everyone. Sure. Totally. Anyway. Anyway. It was, you were in. But listen, if I figure it's not super bad that we're talking about adult breastfeeding because first of all, if that's your kink, we are here for you. Sure. Second of all, um, Sandra Brown did it in like every book. Yeah. And look, and she's Derek Brown. Craven does it. Exactly. And if Derek Craven would. Exactly. What's your problem? Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. How many? What else do we have? Um, there. Actually, this is a really fun question. Um, it was, um, okay, I'm in a romance novel book club. We always really like the books, but some spark more great discussions sure. than others. Mm-hmm. What are, number one, some great books for romance book clubs or, and two, some tropes or general plots and ideas we should look for? That's a good question. That right? is a good question. And you know what's interesting about that? I like that the question ends with what are tropes that we should look for? Because I think one of the problems with like being able to really deep dive and think carefully and critically about a romance novel is sometimes in the choice of trope. Right. Right. Like there isn't a ton that hasn't been said about fake dating. Right. Right. But there are so many interesting tropes where when you do decide to unpack them, you're, there's so much there there. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different ways you can handle it. So one fun thing you might try and see if it works, um, and it might depend on how big your group is, is instead of all picking the same book, you could pick a trope. And have everybody mm. read. So like sort of be like, okay, let's – and again, try it. Be like, all right, everybody choose a – you know, enemies to lovers or fake dating or whatever. And then you would all come to the book club having read something different. 
and oh, then and talk about how each book approaches right, it. Right, exactly. And then you could sort of instead like sort of do a quick like whip around, which is like, you know, just everybody two minutes to talk about your plot or the plot or whatever. And then have a couple of questions about the trope itself, like how it worked as a way to like generate conversation. Uh-huh. So that's one thing you might try is like instead of having it be one book, right, have it be driven by um, like, you know, something like that. So you could do the same thing with like an author study, right? So be like, hey, it's going to be Clapus this month. Everybody just read a, a Lisa Clapus and, you know, bring it in and we'll see, you know, see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the, that's one way you could like really switch it up. Um, in terms of like reading a book, okay, this is going to sound super counterintuitive, but it is a lot easier to talk about books that are not universally loved, right? Because if everyone loves the book, it's hard to talk about it. Yep. Believe it or not. It's easier to talk about a book where there are like real, you know, differences of opinion. Uh-huh. So, you know, read, a, read, find some books that might be, you know, controversial. Okay. Here's my last take. Um, Because I've been in a lot of book clubs and I basically spend my day job is getting people to talk about books. Don't read books that are brand new to everyone. Mm. And that way the person, at least one person essentially is like vowing, is saying like, I think this would be, you know, good for discussion. Um, but I think well, that's how we do our deep dives. Yes. Often it's one of us has read it. The yeah. other one has not. Yeah. Because then you're kind of like saying like, I know enough to know that it's going to work. And, you know, but then I would also say, you know, when we talk about a book, I feel like there's like a lot of things that we kind of do every time. So you can sort of like prepare, think about some questions. So it's like, what's the trope and how is it working? Is it kind of just a great example of the quote, quote mm-hmm. the trope? Is there some way of subverting it? Right. And then I think also, also to like really talking about those moments of like greatest friction between the characters. Uh-huh. Right. Like what was happening there. You know, so I just think that, um, you know, I think, you yeah. know, I think those are all great. She and the question also included yeah. like suggestions for books. Yeah. I want to say. This is a moment where historicals really shine. Yes. Book clubs. Um, Because the thing with historicals is you, they're often set against a backdrop of history that, that highlights the message, the themes and the messages of the book through the lens of the 21st century, right? Or are we in the 21st? Yeah. The 21st century. (laughs) I don't even know. What day is it? It is. Um, So, you know, when you think about like, Adriana Herrera's new book, An Island Princess Starts a Scandal, right? It's set in the 1890s in Paris. Um, There's a huge lesbian community in Paris. It's a lesbian duchess and, you know, a young lesbian debutante. There is, like, sexual identity, um, you know, queerness. There is, there's, you know, race is a discussion. The the geopolitical landscape is all there, like, and on top of it, it's in this like riotous, rollicking, wonderful world of, you know, Gilded Age, Belle Epoque, Paris, right? So cool. So there's so much to sink your teeth in in that book. Um, I'm holding literally in my hand right now, Liana De La Rosa's Anna Maria and the Fox, which is out um, the first week of April. In fact, the week that this episode comes out. Perfect. Um, which is great. 
um, which is, you know, a Mexican heiress, Ana Maria Luna Valdez, um, and who has kind of a forbidden love with a member of parliament who is looking to abolish the Atlantic slave trade, um, but also, you know, comes up from she has she's an heiress. He has like was born in a drain pipe, like came up through from the London gutters. So there's class in there. There's, again, geopolitical stuff. Um, and on top of it, you know, historicals bang. There's usually right. a really big adventure. Um, her, authors of historicals are have a lot more freedom, I think, in a lot of ways to tell a story that might not feel realistic in an entirely, you know, logic can be thrown out the window in a lot of ways in historicals. And they're really fun for discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my current recommendation to all book clubs is um, a book that I put on the best of the year list last year, which is After Hours on Milagro Street by Angelina M. Lopez, because I just think it, that's not a historical. It's a it's a contemporary, but it it touches on the history of um, Kansas. And yeah. there's just but also is a banger. It's super sexy. You can do all that. And then, you know, if you're willing to go dirty Again, another a book that I put on the list last year, um, Heather Guare's Preferential Treatment. Oh, right. Is a really, really fun. There's so much to unpack about sex and power and class and money. Um, I think, I mean, and of course, for, in our opinion, literally any of the books we've ever done a deep dive on. Sure, right. Because we, it, yeah, it's like if we did a deep dive on it, you know that there is plenty to talk about because we managed to fill a whole episode one last big suggestion would be to pick an anthology. Oh, that's fine. Right? And then everyone can just read, you know, like you say to everyone, hey, read three. So like last week, for example, we had that Vow Collective. Oh, sponsor the, so the show. Sponsor the show. And it's all um, like paranormal queer characters in um, like a small town, you know, and, and that so that's another way to approach it is the anthology gives you a way that it's all tied together. Yeah. And so then your conversation can kind of be driven again. Like, you know, you're all talking about the same thing, but like a little different. So um, I hope those are good suggestions. We love hearing about romance book clubs. So let us know how it goes. Here's one, Jen. Yeah. Romance is so varied. True. Clearly. What can we as consumers of romance do to help bring more racial and LGBTQ representation so 30 years from now, there is a more representative set of books in some kid's grandma's closet? That's a great question. And they, too, can believe in happy endings. Yeah, that's a great question. I love this question so much. Thank you to whoever wrote it. Yeah, because basically what ends up happening at the beginning of Fate of Mates Live, we ask people, like, sort of where... Like, what's a romance? What do they remember? The first romance they really remember reading. And like many of you, many of our panelists talked about finding the books at their grandma's house. So, you know, future grandmas of the world have a, a lot to a lot of to take care of. And I would say, you know, to me, I feel like we're going to start hearing about kids who are like or young readers who are like, yeah, I found my first romance in a little free library. Yeah. So, you know, here's the answer is you have to buy these books, right? Like in order for these, the books to be in grandma's house, you have to buy them. And one of the things that's they have really- have to literally physically be the, yes. inside the closet. Yes. And, and 
That's one thing I think about a lot because, of course, I am mostly a Kindle reader now, right? I read digitally. And so one of the things that I do is when I really, really love a book, I try to buy it, buy a paper copy of it. If I like so like, let's say I'm visiting a new bookstore, right? And they have romance. and I want to support the romance. But, you know, it's like I have most of what they have. Sometimes it's right. I'll buy. OK, I love this book. I'm going to buy it. And then I just stick it in a little free library somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Or um, I, I have a drawer, a secret drawer at work where I keep romances that if people want to borrow them. Um, they can borrow them. So I would say, you know, the answer is it is not enough for these books to be in the world right now. If you want the books in the world in 30 years, you have to keep, you have to buy them and then you have to like keep them, right? You have to. Yeah. Especially because the reality is, is that romance has always been ephemeral in a lot of ways. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but The reason why mass market paperbacks are the size they are is so that they could fit inside a purse or inside your, they literally began as being able to fit inside the back pocket of a man's jeans, right? For Pulp Fiction. And they were designed to be thrown out. So the fact that we all found like boxes and bags full of old Harlequins in our grandmother's closets is kind of against the whole point of, (laughs) you know, how publishers thought we were going to be reading these books. So yeah, things go out of print. So if you have read a book by a BIPOC or a queer author and you love it, yeah, you got to buy it. You have to spend money on it. It does twofold it. One, make sure that there is an actual real print copy in the world. And it also tells publishers that we care about these voices. Um, Jen, yes, you are not a writer. This <laughs> this is phrased for a writer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Mm. Is there a job or a hobby that you would like to read a hero or heroine have? Mm, that's interesting. Probably not because I usually find that kind of stuff. It's terrible that I say that because I'm very interested in like the way we work and like what work means to people. But I like don't ever want to read about someone like doing spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. I will say I often. But you do love jobs in romance. I know. That's I, the irony, right? Yeah. Um, It's complicated. I, I'm going to have to think about my feelings about that one. Um, I'm always looking for surfing in romance um, or like other interesting, cool sports. Oh, cool. Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever read a surfing room. Oh, you know what? Vanessa North wrote a surfing romance, I think. There's a surfing romance, a lesbian surfing romance by Melissa Braden, I think. I can't remember the title. Just mm-hmm. look in show notes. Um, just because I think surfing's cool. That person at Faded Mace Live who'd never read a romance, like really wandered into a very the deep end. The deep the end pool. of a very specific pool. One of the things that I do think is interesting about is like surfing seems such a weird, cool community to me Mm -hmm. that I think that's why I would say like surfing over, for example, I don't know, like professional volleyball. Like, right. Does that make sense? Like, Who who cares? Like surfing is like a thing. It's a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would say more, more romances that really explore like, I don't know, like that cool little world. Yeah. Right. What about you? Well, you know, I mean, they're the thing about jobs is that they they tend toward the jobs I'm most interested in tend toward contemporaries. Right. And I write historicals. But I mean, like, there's no doubt that someday, like if I ever move into contemporary, I will write a chef. 
um, because I love same for the same reason that sort of like community of people for a long time. I I've been talking. I've actually been talking a lot with Adriana about like how could we write something together that mm. would you know embrace both of our love of that stuff. So. Um, yes, but also just generally, I like anything like you, anything that has a person who has a really like curious, yeah, right. Curious job. Um, it, there's nothing too weird for me. I don't think. Anyway. Yeah. That's a good question. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Well, I'm editing. So I feel like the answer is I'm reading people's books I can't talk about yet. Mm -hmm. Um, let me look at what I'm All right. Reading. I'm going to talk. Do we get all of the uh, the spring books? We talked about Island Princess. Oh, uh, Christina Lauren's True Love Experiment is coming in May. Yep. And that one is about the heroine, Fizzy, who you'll remember from The Soulmate Equation, uh, is a romance novelist. And there's a reality TV show involved and a big burly dude. And it's great. Um, and what else do we have coming? I am pretty excited. Okay, this is really cool, you guys. And I'm going to admit I haven't read this yet, but you, everybody knows I love, like, space. <laughs> and I had a, a, a debut author reach out to me, and her day job is at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory <gasps> in Pasadena, California. Oh, my God. Are you getting a tour the next time you go? Okay, shut up. She actually did offer <gasps> to do you that. You should get it. No, I'm not... No kidding, right? So in this case, though, her debut is called, um, it's called The Art Collector. And check this out. It is, um, she is a quiet art historian mm. and he is an irresistible demon. <laughs> right? Amazing. And so basically her firm lands this contract to appraise all of these paintings. That, like, that are some, ancient. Yes, of course, some infamous kind of, you know, storied. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like a handsome, mysterious millionaire who owns it. And of course is this demon and he's and, been collecting yeah great works of art for exactly millennia. so that's by caitlin brem but i am super excited to read it also not gonna lie caitlin please she, jen wants the tour the next time she's in california which is frequent yeah like my you know my sister okay my sister-in-law right is mm -hmm. uh just wrote swarm everybody which has been getting like tons of press everywhere so mm -hmm. i need to sit myself down and watch it i've still not watched the beginning of any ted lasso oh yeah we should talk about ted lasso so we okay. are it's right now as we record we're two episodes in uh jen hasn't i'm up to date jen is not so no spoilers um, but obviously we'll be doing a Roy Kent episode. Obviously, I already have a lot of things to say about Roy Kent. So do all of you, I'm guessing. Um, but we'll get there. Yeah, there's one really cool question I think we should end with, which was about joy in romance. Oh, right? Yeah. It was a great question. And it was about, well, there are two. One was kind of like, and the, to me, they really go in my go in my brain together. And one was like when we say romance fights the patriarchy, like how and joy then, the answer is joy the answer is joy right like and you know we've been talking a lot about this you know this is a time in our country where you know book banning is happening queer people really facing a set of terrifying laws trans people you know being written like out of essentially yep. you know i mean there's some really terrible ways that People are being pushed back into the closet. Like, you know, we don't 
you know, banning books by people of color, not wanting to teach real history, um, women not having control over their own bodies anymore, people who can get pregnant. I mean, so these are these are difficult times. And when we look at someone in a romance and, you know, I know Sarah and I really advocate strongly for like conflict, right? We advocate strongly for um, these strong characters, women especially, who are like going to fight to get to act, right? Who are not just like sort of passively resist, you know, passively accepting the world as it is, but are just like, this is a world where I can make a difference, Mm -hmm. right? And that can be in small and large ways. Mm -hmm. That makes me feel really happy. And it also makes me feel really powerful. And so when I think about romance and what it brings me, right? It's like every single time these are main characters who say like my, like being in the world is important. Mm -hmm. My being happy and finding joy in this world that is imperfect Mm -hmm. is a way to fight back against the forces that just want us to kind of passively lay back and feel like we can't change anything. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I think that for me, I've been thinking a lot about choice in the world. And I've been thinking a lot about, I mean, in all ways, but I've also been thinking a lot about how what I want from a romance and the thing that gives me the most hope in romance is when I see a protagonist choose joy. Yeah. Right. Choose power, choose a path that is what they want for themselves. Yeah. Um, And really build their world in hope and love. Yeah. And those things will always triumph. Yeah. And we have to believe that Mm -hmm. or else what else is there? Patriarchy. Right. Yeah. Just giving in. And I think the thing that to me, too, that is so important about this is to me, the like a really key thing in in a romance novel is about like acceptance. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is not just like I accept that the world sucks, but rather yeah. like I accept that like I have value and worth as I am. Mm-hmm. The person I am in the world, the person I am and like my truest version of myself is important Mm -hmm. and deserves to be in the world as that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. And so when I read those stories about people who are like, no, I'm going to I deserve to find I deserve to be loved for who I am. I deserve to have relationships. You know, that that really does yeah. I mean, romance is the genre of identity. Yes. I mean, the only place that I think maybe is doing the same or better work in around identity is YA. Yeah. Right? And it's a different kind of identity yes. when, when right. it's being done in YA. Um, but it is the genre of identity. It is the whole – the story of every romance or all the best romances uh, is – you know, who am I? Who am I to myself? Who am I in relationship to the world, in relationship to partnership? Mm-hmm. How am, How is partnership making me more myself? How is partnership elevating me to be a better person? Um, you know, I think so much about, I think 
probably every day about Jane and Krentz talking mm-hmm. about genre romance driving characters to be their best selves. Right. And in that, if for me, there is no such thing as best self without joy. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing, and, you know, we've talked a lot about this, like the romance readership is so vast, right? And there are people who read romance who, like us, have been married for a long time. There are young people reading romance. There are people reading romance who don't have partners, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, but what we are reading about is, you know, people whose human relationships, right? And it doesn't matter if they're not romance for you, if they're friendship for you, if they're familial for you, if they're your cousins for you, if they're right. But like romance is about like who you are in the world is important because of who you are to other people. Yeah. I mean, we, last week we talked to Sophie Jordan about girl gangs and romance. Yeah. And what was amazing about the conversation is, yes, of course, we talked about, you know, about partnership too, about love, about romantic love, but the best thing about romance now in 2023 that's different from, you know, 30 years ago when we started reading them is there are so many more ways of showing love yes. on the page. Yeah. yeah. And I don't just mean like romance. Romance is now across the board showing, it's showing love, romantic love in a million different ways. It's showing yeah. familial love in a million different ways. It's showing love between friends in a million different ways. And we don't just have to choose one yeah. partner. Yeah. We can choose a world full of love, which makes yeah. things more joyful. Mm. That's a nice place to end. It is a nice place to end, Sarah. <laughs> well, everybody. We love you guys. We hope you're having joy this week. Um, thanks to everybody who came to Fated Mates Live. Thanks to everybody who was with us in spirit. We know there were a lot of you who couldn't come. Couldn't make it to New York. Next time, we'll try and do it somewhere else in the country. We're going to just roam around. There you go. We're going to get a van. (laughs) We're going to put a wrap on it, and it'll just say romance reasons. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be bright pink. You'll recognize us going down the highway. Anyway, we will be back next week. I actually think next week we are finally going to get to the first read-along of the year. It's time. Finally doing it, everybody. It's been a hard spring, but we're Tracy ready. Tracy McNish's Stealing Midnight. Listen, if you are out there and you know who Tracy McNish is, Stealing Midnight is her last book. She never wrote another book. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, send us an email or a message and tell us uh, if she's writing under a different name and wants us to talk about it. Um, but in general, uh, you can find Tracy McNish's Stealing Midnight for only $1.99 in E right Amazing. now. So a real steal. And we've already heard from a bunch of you who've li- read it already. And uh, we're delighted. And I can't wait for Jen to read it because it begins with a bang. I am very excited. All right, faded mates. All right, magnificent firebirds. We love you. Bye.